On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. You are tuned in to another edition of Americana Music Profiles, brought to you by Americana Rhythm Music Magazine and AmericanaMusicMagazine.com. I'm your host, Greg Tutwiler. Let's jump right in to the next exciting interview. The Grassifieds got together in early 2006 in Walkertown, North Carolina, after mandolinist Jim Grubbs took several weeks of recovery time after a tonsillectomy to begin to master the instrument. Four weeks later, Jim and brothers Greg and Joel Barnett along with a few other musicians, started a weekly picking party. After years of playing together, they are excited to share their debut record, What We Are. Jim is my guest on this edition of Americana Music Profiles. Hi, Jim. Welcome to the podcast today. Hello there. Glad to have you on. Thanks for taking the time out of your your schedule to, to talk to us a few minutes about your music. Well, I'm happy to do it. Thanks for uh, the invite. Sure. I appreciate you. Yeah. So the band is Grassified. Is it Grassified or the Grassifieds? It's the Grassifieds. Okay. It sort of, um, sort of plays on the uh, concept of, of the Classified. Gotcha. Um, sure. Okay. At the, at the time we formed it, my eight-year-old son was a, had been listening to a lot of Huey Lewis in the news. And, okay. Uh, and so he sort of played off of that. In addition to the fact that most of many of our members at the time when we founded it had come to bluegrass from other genres of music, oh, cool. so you okay. know they had been quote unquote grassified. Yeah. So when you take those two ideas together in an eight-year-old mind, that's what you get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, good. I, it's always fun to hear the origins of some of these names that you're you're not sure you can figure it out by yourself. So that's that's cool. I like that. <laughs> Um, so you, you guys, the band formed in 06, but you, and, and you have an interesting story coming to the mandolin, but prior to that, you were flat picking guitarist, correct? That's right. right. Uh, started probably about, uh, when I was 10 years old, um, uh, my dad played and, uh, I've actually, I've got a treasure of a picture of him from 1946 holding a guitar. Uh, when he was just a young man, he was uh, 19 years old. That's cool. And and so he played it all my life, and uh, all of his life, he just passed last summer, actually, at 92. Wow. And uh, and played the last couple of years of his life. But um, so I was always around it, and when I was really small, he and my brother would pick guitars, and my dad would sing, and they would put me on spoons. Now, I, <laughs> I, I, there's no way I could even try to play them today, but I did the best I could at, at a really young age. Mm-hmm. I learned, <laughs> I did learn some rhythm from that. And then, uh, as my older brother uh, moved out on his own, then I sort of inherited a guitar. And my dad taught me Wildwood Flower, and he taught me uh, the the other one was the Steel Guitar Rag. Hmm. I'll never forget those two songs. Hmm. And from that point on. Um, I just kind of took over and and learned all I could learn for the next uh, oh, 20, 30 years, I guess. 
as um, a guitarist, did you uh, were you also playing in bands? Uh, did occasionally, you, yeah, yeah, occasionally, but it was mostly you know country or or rock music really mm-hmm. cause at, at that age. That's what I was into, and, and um, my parents were very they were we we lived on a farm. We were very country folk, but we they were very tolerant of my interests, and and I didn't get it too loud to you know to really annoy them. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, you know, bands like the Eagles, they were my my entry into sort of southern rock and country and where they they blended. But I I really enjoyed, I noticed, songs by groups like Don and Rio and Restless Heart. And and one of the things that stood out in their music was the use of the mandolin. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. I love the sound. It was like a, to me. I thought of it as, as the tenor to the guitar yeah. sound. Yeah. And um, and so I loved it. But you know, never laid hands on one until until many years later when I was uh, about forty one years old. I needed a top collector. I needed it for twenty five years before I got it. But I put <laughs> it off and put it off. And, yeah. And uh, I knew I was going to be out of work for a while as I healed. Uh, complexities are for kids, not for grown Right, right. And uh, and so I went and bought a mandolin. And as uh, as the pain medication would wear off in the middle of the night, and I'd still have another couple hours to go before I could safely take another dose, I'd sit up and play the mandolin. And that that instrument, I call it my surgical instrument for that reason. <laughs> That's cool. It it got me through it. Yeah. And um, about a, a month later. That was in February of '06, and about a month later, I invited several friends from church over, uh, who you know we sang together at church already, but uh, they were uh, on various instruments uh, from their own past, mm-hmm. and I invited them over, and we we sort of had a, a little bit of a picking party, and we we had so much fun. The, the very first song we played was Dooley. Okay. You know, we <laughs> here in the Carolinas, people will sure. understand where that came right, from. Right, right, yeah. Them, yeah. You know, the on uh, Andy Griffith. Yeah. So, um, so we, uh, from that point, we just made it a regular thing. We just couldn't put it down. And six months later, we opened for the Embers in a Mountains to Sea concert in North Wilson for about 400 people. Oh, cool. <laughs> and, uh, and so we've been at it hard ever since. We've played all over the southeast ever since. So having the uh, sort of uh, southern rock, classic rock kind of uh, folk rock background, um, was that getting those guys together? Was that a conscious decision that we're gonna we're gonna do bluegrass, not the Eagles? Is that <laughs> what brought you to the bluegrass yeah. choice? Well. Um, Actually, yes, that was a big part of it. Uh, you know, when we, when I took up the mandolin, one of our co-founders, uh, Joel Barnett, he played banjo, and so that took us a little bit away from everything but the very earliest of the, say, the Eagles music, for example. Right. Um, and and so we just went with that in that direction, and and his brother Greg Barnett um, played guitar. And they have, they are direct descendants of the Church Brothers. 
oh, were yeah. yeah, they were a pioneering bluegrass band sure. in our area. Actually really well known. Um well those are their uncles. Their their own uh their mother's side of the family. Mm-hmm. And so um they brought to the party, you know, a knowledge of uh, a number of Church Brothers original songs, some of which have been picked up by really big names, like mm-hmm. um, A Sweeter Love Than Yours I'll Never Know, which is on our CD. That one was done by the Johnson Mountain Boys yeah. on their uh, Let the Whole World Talk album. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill Church, uh, one of the Church Brothers, he wrote uh, Angel with Blue Eyes, which was just released here a few years ago by the Gibson Brothers yeah. on their Brothers uh, yeah. uh, duet CD. And uh, and so we, you know, they had all of that history growing up. Uh, every Christmas, they have a huge family get together, and the church brothers would come and play music, and and um, that continued even after we started. We were able to actually perform some of the church brothers' songs for the church brothers. Oh, which cool! Was a thrill. Yeah. Was a thrill. So, so that's how we um, sort of achieved the focus. That, that steered us more you know, directly to traditional bluegrass, and we, we really enjoyed the, the traditional sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and about that time, we really got hooked on the Johnson Mountain Boys. Yeah. And you, we just loved their style. We loved everything about them, uh, uh, how they played, how they kept the pedal down to the floor mm-hmm. <laughs> throughout their shows. Yeah. Just so much energy. Yeah. And, and so we... We not that we can ever copy that. I mean, they're phenomenal musicians, phenomenal singers too. But yeah. we, we instead, uh, though, admired them so much that we we tend to choose a lot of the standards that they chose. For example, yeah, the old standards that they played that that stuck to their traditional style. Yeah, yeah, and even even on our modern ones that we write, um, maybe some of the lyrics are a little bit more contemporary but not not so much we uh-huh. still want to express the same values that yeah. the traditional the traditional music would hold because yeah. those are our values yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i enjoy dudley in the uh, seldom scene there um uh, oh, yeah. it's just just fun to uh, hear see him be able to continue to uh, oh yeah to play Great, yeah. yeah so you mentioned songwriting and when, when when did you start writing songs when did that become a thing for you for me personally, it started uh, while I was still in high school. Um, okay. I, you know, when most of us, at the time, teenagers go through their periods of angst, you need a way of expressing it. Right. I wasn't, I wasn't a rebellious soul at the time, so my way of expressing myself was through songs that I wrote, and, and some of them were total garbage, <laughs> but, you know, as a teenager, it was what I felt. Uh-huh. Sure. And and um, some weren't so bad, and and so I, I started writing then, and actually performed a few of them live uh, at my high school oh, way cool. back then. Yeah. But but really, when we kicked it in was um, after we uh, I met Joel Barnett in uh, nineteen ninety six, and we became really good friends, best of friends, and he is a very talented individual. I'm going to give you a little history there. He, he performed in a rock band that toured and actually made a living at it for a time. 
Tom, mm. um, and when he was younger, and then about '95 or '96, somewhere in that time period, he he chose to sort of leave that lifestyle behind. Got married, settled down. Um, you know everything that you normally would associate with that. Cut his hair. You know those kinds yeah. of things. <laughs> <laughs> and cool. and, uh, and we became you know terrific friends. And he has a studio uh, where he recorded his band that protect the time. So we've taken advantage of that from time to time. But but I handed him a folder one day, uh, probably in the late nineties, I guess. Handed him a folder of a bunch of lyrics that I'd written that I'd never put tunes to. And I said, you know, just see what you can do with these. It was two inches thick, you know, uh-huh. just song after song after song. So he sifted through like any good uh, musical mind would and sort of called those that had no hope whatsoever. And, and uh, he could hand me back demos where he played all the instruments and sang all the parts. Really? That's awesome. Uh, and with no input from me on what the tune should be like, I just sort of gave him the mood and gave him the lyric. Uh-huh. And when he would play it back for me, it sounded like I had written it. Huh. It gave me every feeling that I was trying to voice. Uh-huh. That's cool. You can't beat that. Right. So it's, a, it's a great connection. Um, so, you know, that was awesome. They weren't all bluegrass songs. Um, but that, those were those were a lot of fun to work with him on. So when we got together as a band, firstly, you know, part of paying your dues is to learn all the old standards that everybody knows. Right. And as you develop your ability on the instrument, but then we started thinking about you know performing live in front of people. Well, not long before, um, my family had bought their first pop-up camper, and we took it on a, on a trip, like its maiden voyage, to a little campground that will remain unnamed. Uh, we, we didn't know anything about it. It was over in Maggie Valley, <laughs> uh, North Carolina, uh-huh. and we got there after dark, and so we didn't know what we were in for. We just parked, you know, and went to bed, but we chose it because it had a trout stream running through the middle of it, yeah. and I love to trout fish. Uh-huh. So... The sun's coming up the next morning. I'm knee-deep in the trout stream. I'm fishing my heart out. And I look around, and we are in the the roughest campground that you could imagine. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I won't even go into the description, but my first thought was, man, I have awakened in an episode of the Dukes of Hatton. <laughs> and I have not seen Daisy yet. <laughs> and... Immediately, I pulled out a pad and a pencil, walked over to the bank, and wrote, in its entirety, wrote uh, what I am. Huh. And the lyrics in the chorus, if you listen to the song, are, you know, like like uh, Dukes with no Daisy. Yeah. Without yeah. you, that's exactly what I am. Yeah, so, that's cool. Um, so that's how that one came. And that was my first bluegrass song. I uh, okay. country and gospel and... and rock before that but that was fun and it was so much fun we got together a couple weeks later in sand and fleshed it out and, and of course had to change some words and some timing and, and things like that and, and Joel worked his magic on the melody and, and in about an hour session 
we had that fleshed out, and it's been one of our most requested songs ever since. <laughs> that's cool. So the the new record is what we are, and and that's that's got the what I am track on there. Is have there been other records before this? This is not the first, no, right? No, no, this is the first. Okay, and, and um, it's kind of funny. We, you know, bluegrass music sort of is intended to be enjoyed live. It's, sure. Oh yeah. It just lends itself to that so much, and we just didn't focus on recording. We 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 played. 20 to 25, 30 shows a year, uh, year after year after year, and we just never took the time. All of us had families, all of us, you know, had day jobs until I retired, and and so um, we just didn't put one out. And every show, our fans would say, where's your CD? We want to buy a CD. And we'd say, yeah, we're, you know, we're sort of working on it. And we were, <laughs> we were deciding what to put on it, but mm. we didn't make it past that. And then 2020 hit. Yeah. And we've had one show all year. That's wow. It. Mm. And so I felt like this was to find a bright spot in all of that. Yeah. We needed to do something. So we, we hit it really hard, and, and we we looked at what we've been performing for all those years, and we said, okay, here's a, here's a cross-section of our most popular originals. There are four originals on this project, and... And uh, then we looked at a cross-section of different styles that we performed uh, of our covers, and that's how we made the selections to go on there. And we, you know, we just sort of did it sort of as an introduction to the band. Here's mm-hmm. here's what we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, in in the middle of all of that, a couple of years ago, I think I read where you guys actually got to play Merlefest a couple of times. Is that correct? We did. Yeah, we did. Twenty fourteen and fifteen. It's been a little bit now, but uh, but yes, we did. Uh, as part of the their outreach program, we went out and played uh, uh, three or four shows each of those two years at different locations, representing them. That they have a great outreach program. Yeah, and mm-hmm. uh, and it was really. It was really very cool uh, to do that, and then come back, you know, on campus and be treated like any other artist there. Uh-huh. We, we were there when Alan Jackson performed. Yeah, we were there when Ralph Stanley performed, and so on. So we we came back and got to go backstage and, and meet some of our heroes uh, at the time. That was that was an excellent experience. And we're in talks, hoping to repeat that over the next couple of years. Okay. And, and and, and actually perform again there. Hopefully, get a stage this time uh, if, if things work out. Yeah. Um, and, if, and of course, we're talking to other festivals too. Sure. Yeah. Same intent. Yeah. Trying to go ahead and get 20, 2021 with some optimism, get it full. Right. Yeah. I was. I wanted to ask what what you uh, anticipate giving uh, things uh, change in the right direction. What 21 looks like for you guys as a band, especially being retired, I guess that changes things a little. It did. Um, I, I retired, uh, a little bit young, uh, but I'd been positioning myself for that for the whole 30 year career that uh-huh. I had. Um, I'm a mechanical engineer by training and I, and I worked uh, a pretty demanding job for 30 years. And, and, we just didn't send a lot, so we just put it away and, and did what we could to be ready uh, for me yeah. to walk away from it. And since I retired, uh, Pete Wright, our bass player, has also retired. 
And so, you know, as we have a little bit more time available, to, at least to us, uh, we're looking at, at maybe getting out there more. Our first show for the new year uh, is in January, but it, um, it's a live radio broadcast from WPAQ's uh, merry-go-round. Okay. That's hosted at the Earl Theater in downtown Mount Airy. And uh, that's a pretty historic stage. I'm uh-huh. looking back through the history, it's been, that stage has held uh, the likes of Platt and Scruggs and Bill Monroe and, and people that we can't, we couldn't uh, carry their cases for them. But, but uh, we're just honored to, to do that and to be heard by those who will be listening online and over the air. Yeah. In addition to, you know, being in a great, old downtown historic theater with a, a live audience we hope in January mm-hmm. uh, by For the time sure. they space everybody out yeah yeah well that, that's awesome so the, the band is the grassified your debut CD is what we are been out for a couple months people want to get a copy of that or, or listen to uh, some of the original cuts that are on there and and uh, find out where you're going to be what's the best way to do that um, the best way is through our website, which is really easy to remember if you know our band name. It, it's uh, thegrassifieds.com. Just don't leave out the D and don't leave out the F. <laughs> it's thegrassifieds.com. Yep. Okay. Um, we're also, the CD is available just about anywhere you can download music. It's on iTunes, it's on Apple Music, it's on uh, Spotify, Google Play, Amazon Music, you name it. It's and all of those places, and you, you mentioned the the originals that are on there. Um, there are previews, by the way, on our website for all the songs. Um, but uh, among the originals, I wrote the first two. I wrote what I am, as I described it earlier. And uh, there's a true story there called "My Dad and Trev Malone" that I would like to call attention to, just sure. simply from the fact that it's a true story that I wrote. Uh, about my own dad, who um, at 19 years old, he already my oldest brother had already been born, and he's he's struggling to feed his family in rural Alabama and in tough times in the 40s. And he uh, took a job at a coal mine, a private mine, an independent mine, as they called it. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, as a young man working with a lot of tough guys. Um, one of his co-workers was named Shreveport Malone, or Shreve Malone for short, and he had just come back from Europe, uh, having fought in World War II, and Shreve was, uh, from all indications, maybe he suffered from shell shock or something, mm-hmm. but he, that he was quiet and detached and feared, really, by the, his fellow workers, because, he, you know, there were all kinds of rumors about him, and, um, uh, and what he had been through. So the the miners, they called a, a wildcat strike. And for those who know that term, it was a very violent mm-hmm. uh, period. And uh, and Dad didn't know what the strike meant. He, he just knew that if he didn't work, they would starve. So he crossed the lines and he just kept working. And after several death threats against him, uh, this is the story of the night that he, he came out of the mine and found Trev Malone waiting for him uh, alone at the mouth of the mine hmm. with a Thompson submachine gun. Really? So, yeah. So this is uh, 
dear to my heart, and it, it's one of the few that uh, the band got to perform for my dad wow. before he passed. We we got to go down to Alabama, and we played at his 90th birthday party and, and got to sing this song for him, and I'm kind of proud of that. Yeah, um, yeah. That's so, awesome. Uh, Additional originals are We Are On Our Way, which is a great gospel song that Greg Barnett, our lead singer, wrote. And he wrote uh, just a driving straight-ahead bluegrass tune called When I Come Walking In, mm. uh, which is also on this CD. Yeah. Um, and then we, we honor the Church Brothers by putting two of their original songs on uh, on our CD that we covered. Uh, sweeter love than yours, I'll never know. And uh, beneath the North Carolina moon, okay. both of those were originally done by the Church Brothers. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you, Jim. I, this has been fun, and um, I'm gonna. I, I listened to a few of the songs, but uh, I don't think I listened to the one. Um, my dad and Treb Malone. So I will go listen to that uh, when we when we get done and Great. hear the rest of the story. And uh, uh, wish you guys well with with this. And uh, certainly um, best of luck to you in twenty one as well. Well, on behalf of uh, Greg Barnett, Joel Barnett, Amanda Hine, Jerry Martin, and Pete Wright, and of course myself, Jim Grubbs, we want to thank you very much for your interest in our music and. We hope that uh, your fans will hear something that they like and and apply the pressure to their local venues and get us booked. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> good, good enough. Good, great. Thanks, Jim. Thank you very much. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of Americana Music Profiles. Find us on iTunes at Americana Music Profiles and on the Internet at AmericanaRhythm.com. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shop? Would they shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.